Hello everyone and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today we are reviewing Star Trek Picard Season 2, Episode 7, Monsters. Like always, I'm your host Clarence and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts slash Trekkies. Starting with none other than Jonathan Shorts. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. I am good. I I am thrilled to be talking about this episode of Picard. Interested to see what you guys think. Yeah, I can't wait to dive into the details myself. And also on the podcast, we have Cal Jones. How you doing, Cal? You know what? I'm going to quote none other than Lee Shackleford himself by saying, I'm grand. Just grand. I think I'm going to be grand today. I think that's a good way to say it, maybe. Yeah, let's let's all be grand together. Up top, I want to go ahead and address feedback from our trivia question from last week, which was, what was the ship that was hanging above John Luke and Rene Picard when he said, look up? We actually got an email for that answer from Harrell Connor, who sent in an email to fans at DiscussingTrek.com. That shuttle is shown in the intro to Star Trek Enterprise, along with many different ships to bear the name Enterprise throughout history. What do you think of that, John? Correct is the answer, sir. Correct. Correct the Mundo. Although I don't I don't know if it ever showed that it, it brandished the name Enterprise on that one. Yeah, I don't think it did either, but he's just saying that it's it was just in yeah. the intro along with the other ships that had the right. name Enterprise. So yeah. So kudos to him and I, I would just kind of venture to guess that he probably likes the theme song. <laughs> he sat through it so he had to like it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, if someone remembered that, they watched it enough times to know it. So, Kyle Jones has never seen the ship because he's never watched it. <laughs> I have. I absolutely have because how else would I dislike that theme song so bad if I didn't watch the opening? Now, I will admit to this because I like the visuals when I would watch the show and. If I chose to watch the credits, I would just mute it during the song so I didn't have to hear it. Really? (laughs) I'm not joking. I really did. Hey, however you can watch Trek, make it happen. So, hey, kudos to you, sir. (laughs) But we will have a new Trek trivia at the end of the episode, so stay tuned for that. We're going to get right into our review of Star Trek Picard Monsters. Monsters was written by Jane Moggs and was directed by Joe Menendez. To lend Richards inside Picard's subconscious mind to help him wake from a coma and face his darkest secrets and fears. Seven and Rafi go in a search of Dorati, whom they fear has succumbed to the monster inside. Rio struggles to hide the truth of who he really is from Teresa. So, for everyone listening, if you have not seen Monsters, put us on pause, go out, watch the episode, come back, because from this moment forward... Spoilers. Spoilers. Affirmative. Spoilers. Spoilers? What spoilers? And I killed Sparky, too. Like all weeds, we go to Kyle Jones for the beats of the episode. Sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. Honestly, you never know. Mr. Jones, what do you have for us this week? All right. So this is what I've got for you this week. A child's perception of events is shaped by limited experience and external influences. As an adult, at some point in the child's future or not, the child reevaluates those events with logic, experience, and uncovered truth. 
A viewer's perception shares a similar path. So say I, but so say we all. We shall see. So say we all. (laughs) (laughs) Jonathan, what is your high-level opinion of this episode? Well, first, let me say this. And we should have added this probably uh, right after Cal's uh, spoiler bumper that if there's going to be children in the room when you watch this, you may want to get them out. Uh, That being said, my grandkids are here for Easter this weekend. And, (laughs) you know, I figure I'll watch some Star Trek, you know, while they're running around and bouncing around on the couch and all that. Because, you know, there's really nothing else to watch that would be suitable for kids anyway. So let's watch some Star Trek. I want you to know parts of this episode, my grandkids running around the house screaming, crying. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So, you know, I'm used to some of that intric, uh, but man, wow. You literally chose the the scariest episode of Picard, (laughs) (laughs) period. I mean, even my wife was like, what are you watching? (laughs) I'm like, Star Trek. She's like, no, it's not. But that being said... Man, talk about a mind bender twister. I I want to say I loved it. I want to say I hated it because I couldn't understand it. But that's also why I loved it. It was like a a great play or a bad script. I can't decide yet. And I'm hoping I can talk it through with you guys. Cal Jones, additional thoughts. I'm just stuck on the fact of trying to wrap my head around a great play or a bad script. I think you've hit on something that I think is going to stick in my head, Jonathan Short. Because <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. That is good because those two things are so dissimilar to each other that you put them together, and I just think that was brilliant. That said, I'm kind of like you. I'm not quite sure of what to make of this episode, and it's because of that that I have a theory, but I'll hold that until you're ready for it, Clarence. But it just made me just wonder something. For me, it's the second episode that we've gotten in a row that sort of playing with some of the tropes of television. Because, of course, I was thinking Tony Soprano sitting in the office in this episode. <laughs> and it takes that that part of it and goes deep with it. Very deep. Of course, we're in Picard's head, in his mind. So we're going to see some things that are kind of going to throw us for some loops. But the way they tied it in together on who was doing what I thought was brilliantly done. I love this episode. I can't even hide it. I freaking love this episode. It started to answer some questions, maybe not completely. And I think it cleverly puts the story along. And we had an uncredited cameo by a by someone by the name of Charles Xavier, because for a second there, it was like, oh, wow, I'm seeing Charles Xavier on Star Trek. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Eat your heart out, Multiverse of Madness. So let's Indeed. get right into it. As Talyn works to enter Picard's mind, Seven and Raffi attempt to find Jurati, while Rios attempts to calm down his doctor friend. Let's cover good guy Rios first. Dr. Teresa wants some answers. First off, I want to ask you guys, put yourself in Rios's shoes. What do you do in that situation? And I'm going to throw it to you first, Cal. So part of me wants to say, how would she even know how to use this thing? Yes. I, you know, so, so that is, is stuck in my head. That being said, 
I think as being a doctor, a person of medicine, you have to be detached a little bit because you have to have that ability in your head to detach yourself from the fact of I'm operating on a living human being, et cetera, and so forth, you know, all the things that doctors do. So I think that puts her in a little bit of a special place, being able to detach herself from being oblique. I'm basically seeing something materialize out of air. I'm going to freak out. So I get that. And considering the fact of he had to make a choice between possibly Picard dying or she saving, I think he worked with what he had. Yeah. Yeah, man, I thought I thought it was interesting, the whole neural stabilizer thing. But like you, I was wondering, like, how can she know how to use this? I get that she's a doctor, but she's a doctor from 2024, not a doctor from the future. So I I, I didn't get that. I thought that it was kind of dumb that she could use it. It seems like Rios being a captain with medical training. I'm sure he has some type of medical training being a captain. It seemed like he would have known how to use it before she would have, just to be quite honest. And considering the fact that all she had to do was point and click. Yeah. He may have been trying to garner her trust just a little bit more, maybe. But then the the opposite of that, we go right into him taking her and the son to the La Serena. I just I just feel like that was just a bit too much. Completely contaminating the timeline even more than it already already has been. I just feel like that was one step too far. Oh, I agree. And I a million percent agree. And it further gives evidence to my hypothetical theory that may be so far off wrong. It's wrong. But still, yes, he is polluting the timeline. He is bleeping up time. <laughs> I, I just don't get it. Well, what is what is said theory, sir? Enlighten us. So my said theory might be. And I'm basing this on two things other than the weird things that are going on here. Well, three things, I guess. Thing number one, we have seen Guinan in the past, in the 1800s, look like Whoopi Goldberg. Yep. And I know she can change her form, but my brain is having trouble getting around the fact that we've seen her in the 1800s looking like Whoopi Goldberg, but we see her in the... 2024 looking like someone completely different. And again, I know she can change her face. I get that to some degree. Yeah. That doesn't make sense to me. That's number one. Number two, there are a lot of coincidences in this story. And there's a lot of haphazardness that's going along with those coincidences. And number three, we we didn't get one this week, but we keep getting this bleed over of Elnor. Yeah. Hmm. So my theory is this is all some kind of something either done by the Borg Queen that they're in some kind of mental stasis in the fu- you know in the future present uh-huh. or it's something that Q has done that's put them in this fabricated reality. I don't think oh. any of this reality is real. Really? See, that would be a huge, huge mistake in my part if that's what they are doing. And I'm not saying I want it to happen yeah. by any means. Hmm. That is interesting. Okay. All right, John. So what, what do you think, man? Do you think we may be in some alternate Q-created 
pocket reality, that dream state or something. <laughs> Do you think this is the true prime timeline that we're in right now or maybe some alternate? Mm. So it crossed my mind while we were in Picard's mind that we were all in someone's mind. Mm. Mm. And it's hard to put a finger on it. And it, and this kind of goes back to the I, like things are not. This kind of goes back to my original comments. If that were so, a lot of this would make more sense. If that was not so, then I have a problem with some of the script writing. Yeah. Like there's just scenes. And, you know, you mentioned this episode or two back, Clarence, the uh, Rios and the doctor kind of felt kind of off putting. Yeah. And to me in this episode, even more so, like it just felt like it was clunky like missing things like not very in depth at all like it just it feels like like if this was in an alternate reality or a simulated reality that would make more sense because you know those things just can't line up yeah uh that that's just kind of where i'm going with it i i i do i do kind of agree with Kyle that that might be a possibility yeah i mean if if it happens that it's all a dream i would be very upset like, why are you wasting my time? That's how I would feel. <laughs> now, you know what? I agree with you because then it kind of goes back to the explanation of the burn. Yeah. <laughs> like We went through all of it. And it was just that. And and again, with, with, with Rios and, and uh, Dr. Ramirez, I don't think Rios is going back to the future, man. I really don't because either that or they're setting us up for the heartbreak when he does have to leave. And they, that's, that may be what they're doing. But man, he's he's shown her and the kid everything. So yeah, talk about timeline contamination, you know, so I don't know. And, you know, keep going. But I want to find and see if I'm right here. I want to find something from episode one of this series and keep going. But I want to see if I can find it. And if I can, I'm going to refer to it. Cool beans. Let's talk about Seven and Raffi really quickly. Not a lot here. They discover that the Las Arena systems have been taken over by Borg Code when they attempt to find Jurati. Any thoughts on this portion of the story? Again, not a lot here. But what do you think of their plans? Or Jirati, what do you think Jurati's plans are? I guess the question I want to ask. Hmm. What is up with Two of One? Hmm. Well, it depends on who's in control of 201. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I think there's a battle happening right now. And I mean, and we kind of know that and we know she's looking for endorphins because that's helps her gain more control. Yeah. Although I can probably come up with a lot better ways to get endorphins in the 24th century <laughs> than, than breaking a window. But yeah, uh, I, mm, you know, I think we may have mentioned this. Like, that has been the closest the Borg has ever come to subduing humanity, and that was going in the past to do it. Yeah. And this could, I mean, if it's not an overall dream made up by someone, then it's the Borg Queen's clever way of getting that done. Yeah. And yeah. that's kind of where, that's where it seems like they're leading us to believe, and it's even mentioned as such at the end of the episode. Like, it just seems like that's the road we're on. Yeah, if if the floodgates open here, I mean, it could spill, uh, you know, not be good for humanity going forward. Kyle, did you have any thoughts on Jurati? Mm, yeah, I like their interaction. To be honest with you, Jurati at this point is more of a vessel 
Mm. So, I mean, I really wasn't paying attention to her as a character in this one because she just seemed to be, you know, there was no her fighting back. It was just Borg Queen in control. See, I took it as her walking into that bar as kind of her way of maybe not fighting back, but it's the Gerardi bleeding through. Mm. Um, I think she really did enjoy that whole singing session she had in the last episode. And she hears this singing coming from this bar and it just kind of breaks to that subconscious mind of hers. Like, oh, yeah, I remember when that was happening. And she's kind of bringing herself back and fighting her way back. And then the board queen realizes this and says, I need to go break a window so we can get some more endorphins. Yeah. Now, um, uh, uh, Easter egg on that portion. I think that woman singing was Patrick Stewart's wife, Sonny Ozell. Really? Yeah. I think I saw that tweet it. So that's pretty cool. All right. Do you mind if I refer to something before uh, we move any further from our talk about the reality thing for a minute? Yeah, let's hear it. So from the Stargazer, which is the first episode of season two of Picard, episode one, there is something that Guinan tells Picard and she says, the problem isn't time. It's you. Hmm. Just just throwing that out there. And, you know, there was another time that we've had an episode in Picard's head. And that's when Q was involved, you know, when he was having the heart trouble or he took him back to that time. Yeah. Where, you know, he got hurt and he, then he was in that white space where he thought he may have died. And like that was Q manipulating him then, albeit Picard was aware of the current situation. Mm. So let me throw this out. And I'm so sorry to keep going on tangents. But what if when the Borg Queen said, look up. Picard looked up, they tr- tried to reassimilate him, and this is part of trying to reassimilate, and he escaped into this mind thing. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, I do think all of those are great ideas. I'm just saying, for me, I would give this whole season a one if that's the reality. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I agree. I do agree. But it. I mean, it would be cool. But then it wouldn't be overall. Yeah. But I mean, just think of the ingenious writing to, I mean, we're in a mind, we're in a mind, in a mind. Oh, Inception. (laughs) (laughs) The the only reason I think this may be possible is there's just, there are just too many things that are playing loose with, with the rules. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, but, but, but that's enough of me harping on that. So I want to get initial impressions on the opening scene of the episode, actually, when we're in this routine psych eval with Picard, just your overall impressions of being here. Like, did you have any idea what was going on? (laughs) You know, it looked like we're on some ship out in the middle of nowhere. It's just really almost jarring scene to start the episode on. (laughs) I love this scene. This is probably my favorite scene in the episode. And at first glance, I was like, Dr. Bashir, but it's not, (laughs) it's not, no, but I did see uh, somewhere on social media or a news report. It was a report just kind of saying that a lot of people kind of made that, uh, made that connection, even though it wasn't true. So they kind of put a side by side picture of them up 
It's just kind of showing who this guy was and who uh, Alexander Sadiq was. Anyway, that was my first thought, which that's kind of made me immediately focus in on it. But man, what an awesome psychiatrist. Oh, man. So good. <laughs> that, that was the best psychiatric session I've ever seen in any show. <laughs> and he was good. And like, yeah. He can't, you, you hardly see a time where someone kind of has Picard like back on his heels. Yeah. For an extended amount of time. Like he was just kind of thrown off that whole, and he was trying to take control. Yeah. But he couldn't because he couldn't really understand. The guy just kept digging. It, it was, it was just, it was awesome for me. They, they've definitely played on all the tropes you see when you see psychovals in different shows. So, you know, that felt very familiar to me. Cal, what did you think of James Callis, a.k.a. Guys Baltar, a.k.a. Maurice Picard, in this episode, you know, as we explore some of Picard's painful memories? Brilliant, brilliant, and brilliant. I loved his evilness in Battlestar Galactica, and it made me actually say, hmm, maybe I want to go back and watch Battlestar <laughs> again, because I loved that when it when it was out. So, yeah, he he seamlessly just embodied the character. I didn't really care if he was a Picard or if he was a Q or if he was an A. It didn't matter. I just th <laughs> thought he did a good job. Now, he asked Picard or Jean-Luc this question. Who is Jean-Luc and who is Captain Picard? And we kind of talked about this a little bit on our previous episodes, but we finally get a bit more into what makes Jean-Luc tick. Have we ever actually seen Jean-Luc before, John? Have we? Uh, I know. I can say this. I can make this observation. I don't want to take anything away from the character Jean-Luc Picard or from the actor Patrick Stewart. But he, the all the episodes we've ever seen Picard in, he's always seemed like the guy you want to be, mm. Captain. He's never been himself. And by saying that, we don't really know what he, who he is. And so we have to assume that he is being himself. Yeah. But it's always, you know, every other captain, every other character in Trek, we've had moments where we actually saw the raw side of him. Yeah. And now that you say that, I can't put a time on that other than when he got in a fight with the Noxicans. Yeah. And that was back in his younger days. But outside of that, we have never seen the and the four lights thing. Yeah. Well, inner, mm. I say inner light, too. Mm. I'm actually going to disagree with you, Jonathan. I think, in my opinion, and this is just my perception here, I think the scenes that he's had, some of the scenes one-on-one -on -one with Beverly, but specifically the scenes that we've had one-on-one -on -one with Guinan, mm. I think, yeah. are the times we've seen Jean-Luc, maybe not completely as not Captain, but more, say, 75% Jean-Luc and 25% Captain. So maybe I'm not completely disagreeing with you, but I do think that some of that veneer has come down with those two, uh, Guinan and, to a lesser extent, Beverly. Well, I agree. I agree with that. But I think there's and maybe Clarence is kind of where you're getting at. There's a third layer that this psychiatrist is trying to get to. And, you know, it, if he's never been the captain, um, I mean, if he's always the captain and maybe with Beverly and Guinan, he's been John Luke. 
but there's another Jean-Luc that even they don't see. Mm. And I'll go one step further and say, I think part of this episode was for him to see there is another Jean-Luc that even he doesn't see. Right. Because that's that's actually what I loved most about this. And I hope I'm not jumping ahead here, but was well. the revelation, kind of like the personal revelation that, I was fixing to say Gaius, that his father psychiatrist revealed to him was this change in perception. And I thought that was really, really well done and well played and well written. Well, let, let me ask this. How do we feel about that revelation being wrapped in layer on layer? You know, we have the layer of being in his head with the with with Gaius Baltor <laughs> being a psychiatrist. We have another layer of this fairy tale that is trying to tell the story of, of what's going on with his mother and severe apparently severe mental illness here. But to, to each of you guys' point, I think we didn't see this one little part of what happened that is going to reveal so much more. And did, did you guys get that from the scenes? And even Talan says, wait, I'm, are we missing something here? Or did we see everything? She kind of <laughs> loses that. I agree. And uh, the key quotation marks is the key. <laughs> uh, you know, this whole time we're, I mean, maybe we're thinking or leading us to think that it's a revelation that his mother had some psycho psychological issues. But, you know, the whole time he thought maybe his father was keeping her, keeping mom away or mean to mom. But if that's the case, if father was guarding mom, locked her up and guarding it, why does he have the key? So that means tell me he's locked that part away, maybe because he has those same issues that he's keeping locked up. And that's mm. the John Luke we hadn't seen. I read that very differently. OK, I'm, I'm curious what you think, Clarence, because I have a theory, too. So let's see. So the father, Maurice, said that the mother eventually got back in the mines, right? Doesn't she lose herself in the mines again? Because I was thinking maybe Picard. Or Jean-Luc opened the door and let her out again. And that's how she gets lost or taken away or whatever. I don't know. That's kind of the feeling I got from it. See, I took it as, you know, when he when he got his foot stuck, okay, and she left. I thought that there was at some point it was it, it was said she left and didn't didn't come back for him. Yeah. And had he not rescued him, had the father not rescued him. Jean-Luc would have drowned when the water came in or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in other words, but I think he always saw the father as locking the mother away and taking the mother away from him when in fact maybe he had her institutionalized for her own and in his safety. Yeah. Yeah, for everyone's safety. Mm. And that is true, but in his mind, I think he's mentally locked her away. To keep from going down the same road. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Mm. Because he did akin himself to wanting to be more like his mother than his father. And I think that's kind of where he gets his thirst for exploration from. Of course, you know, we had to look up statement at the very beginning of the series. So he's looking to the stars. He's looking to be adventurous. He's looking to escape as to be like his mother. And what's the significance when he begins this story, it's a red red haired queen and he was the prince. And I know it's 
kind of a play on, you know, moms always call their son a prince. But for some reason, that was important in his mind. And red why hair, and she was a queen. red hair? Because right. every time we've seen her this season, her hair has been black. And dark, right. Or dark brown, yeah. Mm. So there was a significance there for sure. And there is also a significance to, and I also get, it's because he's stuck. You know, he says, well, she always told me if we were to become separated to stay put. Yeah. I'm sure. And I mean, that's the reason why he's stuck in that situation. But like, if you have the key and you know where she is, why are you stuck? I'm so confused. Yeah, I I think they should have gave us that additional reveal, but maybe it gives us too much and they have to like push it off a little bit. But man, as much as they gave us, I'm still confused <laughs> what's going on. Oh, man. Mm. Yeah, I could see this as, I mean, this, just kind of like it reminds me of like just different things you like Macbeth, maybe. You know, is it really a monster? Is it not? Is it in your mind? Because I think Picard thought the monster was Maurice, his father. Because we know from right. past times that he, he didn't get along with his father at all. And by the end of this, he's saying, I really, I didn't even know you at all, you know? So it's just so many layers on it, on, on what's going on. And that key got me at the end. Cause I really don't know where they're going with that at all. And it's <laughs> just do another wrench into, into these revelations. Let's throw another, yet another wrench <laughs> to land puts on this Romulan looking device on her ear, goes inside Picard's mind, helps him, um, f- helps him get through these thoughts and come back to reality after it's all said and done. We're back. And she makes a reveal that she really is Romulan. What (laughs) is going on here? (laughs) Uh, You know, I'm glad they did that because I had a problem with how obvious that ear device thing looked like. Yeah. Romulan. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was like, really? Are we just going to throw that in there because everybody thinks she may be Laris? Yeah. So we're just going to throw that in there to give give everybody something to talk about. But the fact that they added in that she really is Romulan, that was good. But you notice that it did not fall off of her ear. And the reason for that was, remember, there was an illusion there. It was fit for her ear. It wasn't a... uh, it wasn't made to look like Romulan. It was made to fit Romulan. Yeah. It was just we couldn't see that yet. So I have a theory here. I have a feeling that somehow she's going to be John Luke's watcher, too. That's the reason. Because I, f- I kind of feel like she was there with him in those caves on the, underneath the chateau. And maybe she helped save him as well. I just have oh. a feeling they're going to try to tie that in together somehow. Because, you know, when he was talking to the psychiatrist, he was like, no, I wasn't alone. He did. Yes, he did say that. All right. Well, let's get back to Picard now, knowing that he needs to get to Q to get more information. And he seeks out Q by going back to Ten Ford to speak with Guinan. And we get this very, very interesting scene of how Guinan can actually summon a Q. Maybe if you guys will talk about that a little bit, as well as talking a little bit about this Q Ilarian War, Cold War that we had that they spoke of, you know, kind of filling in some of the history all the way back to Q who that we didn't get. My biggest thought was the bottle looked like a weird version of the I Dream of Genie bottle. (laughs) It did. It did. (laughs) I wanted him to like 
okay, what is Guy and Fiction to do? Blink, and then here comes uh, a cue. <laughs> if she'd have wiggled her nose, I'd have fell over. <laughs> I know she screamed. <laughs> it, it, but again, here we go with the scary parts. Like, <laughs> I think, you know, I figure you're going to summon a cue. Is Like, I know they said summon, but like, it was like witchcraft summon. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, not like I'll just say a couple of words and he'll come or I'll hit a bottle across the table and the echo. Like, it was a death defying, low, monstrous scream. That Screech. Screech. Yeah. Not scream. Screech. That was that was insane. Well, Kyla wasn't worse than your favorite Doctor Who classic character, right? Oh, you mean male. Well, yeah. No, my, my ears weren't hurting. So there you go. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that whole summoning thing was really, really weird. I, I, I don't know. I guess it worked. But yeah, it was really weird. But let's talk about the guy that actually came down the stairs and sat at the bar, who I thought was a, was a cue at first, but apparently he's not. What do you think about Picard and Guinan being arrested? <laughs> <laughs> it would have been so cool if he would have turned out to be a cue. Yeah, mm. it would have been. But, if, but is he something else? And do y'all know what else he might be? I think he's just a butthole police officer at this point. No, well, he, well, we got a little, little clues of where we're going to the next episode. So his name is Agent Wells. He formerly, the actor formerly portrayed a character, and I forget the character's name, but he formerly portrayed a character on the Relativity episode of Voyager. Mm-hmm. So he was a crew member of the USS Relativity. Uh-huh. Which, ironically enough, and I got this from Angus in Tasha's After the Snap chat, that the Relativity was a Wells-class ship. <laughs> it is, and he's Agent Wells in this in this particular episode, which is a cool <laughs> Easter egg. But do you know what else they are? They're time agents. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so interesting all around. Now, if you look at the next on, you'll get a little bit more information about what's coming this week. But yeah, it should be very interesting because Wells is one of those people who believe extraterrestrials are real. And he's very much going out to Picard and Guinan and probably anyone else he can find. So it's going to be interesting to see where they go there. Maybe weird that we have it so late in the season that we're introducing this new character. You know, we're we're going to episode eight. (laughs) We should be starting to get answers and wrap things up. So let's see how it's going to actually climax because I don't. You know, as much as I'm loving this season, I have no idea where they're going, but we'll see. Hopefully they don't leave us hanging too bad at the end. Yeah, well, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys have any other parts of the episodes I want to bring up before we wrap this up? Well, just kind of the you mentioned earlier, Rios is destroying the timeline. He is. He is. And and again, the reason I hated I didn't like this Dr. Rios interaction, like there was just so many you guys mentioned up top. Like, how does she know how to use the device? Yeah. He didn't know how to use the device. He didn't even know what to ask for when he asked for him to beam it down to him. And then he hands it to her and explains to her exactly what it does, even though he doesn't know how to use it. And apparently she can use it because she's a doctor. I mean. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And then he asked, he calls up and asked them to beam him something. And they're in the middle of this major revelation, you know, they and they had time to figure out what they needed and. Like, all that just seemed very patched together. Or the word that I used a little bit earlier to explain my theory, everything seems just a little bit too convenient. Right. Yeah. 
like the Las Arena is good enough or it works well enough to beam stuff in and out, but they can't find Girati <laughs> with right. ex- without extra work. You know, I realize it's a different system, but, you know, it's just like convenience factor here. And nobody has thought about that cop that just disappeared that hadn't been seen since the board <laughs> queen killed him. Well, she didn't kill him, did she? Yeah, they dragged him out at the very end. They, I think they fixed him up or Girati fixed him up. So who knows yeah. if he's actually... He might be a Borg walking around a Girati fixed Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go ahead and get ratings for the episode. And I will start this time. And I'm going to give it a 4.2. I was thinking like a 4.7, 4.8 before we started the discussion. But for as many questions as were answered. And honestly, I really enjoyed the episode from end to end. It, it, it still has a lot of mysteries left to be solved. So that's what's going to land me at a... 4.2. What about you, Cal Jones? I think you are a very wise man, Clarence Brown. And because of that fact, 4.2. John, what you got? Uh, I This one is hard, man. <laughs> this is hard. I, You know, if it hadn't been for the Rios and that doctor, all that, <laughs> like, that really kind of, it just kind of hurt to watch that interaction. Yeah. And it was really good previously, but this time it was just very patched. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, I don't really like the darkness of the episode for it being Star Trek. I'm just not used to that in Star Trek. It wasn't bad. It was great. It was done great. Uh, but I love the mystery. I love the layer on top of layer on top of layer of mystery and questions. And it did progress the story forward. So for all of that, I'll give it a solid four. Yeah. Nice. And I have to say, I um, I was thinking about, is it Naomi? I can't remember her last name. My Voyager and Neelix used to have. Naomi the, Wildman. Yeah. No, Naomi Wildman. The stories she kind of did with Neelix. It kind of reminded me of that because we were saying, oh, that's that's a Reman in the background. Right. <laughs> uh, that's the monster. <laughs> We had all kind of theories, man, and they threw us off good on that. So, so good job, uh, trailer yes. cutters. <laughs> hey, right. Cool beans. That's going to get us through the review of Monsters. And if you have comments on the episode, please send those in to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. You can also use those outlets to respond to Trek trivia. John, what do you have for us this week? All right. So... We have uh, saw Guyan a couple of times in this season, and we're starting to get some answers on the Elorians. Who are they? What are they? Where did they come from? What's the deal with them and Q? But we hadn't really got a lot of info from just this one Elorian, except we have seen another Elorian in Trick. Do you remember where and what his or her name was? Yeah, come on. That's, that's low-hanging fruit, man. Come on. Is it really? I don't <laughs> well, know it. I may, I may be off on the name, but I know where we saw him 100%. I kind of know the name, but if we want to leave it for the listeners, we can do that. Yeah, we'll leave it. All right. So where else have we seen an Elarian, and what is said Elarian's name? You can send that in again to the fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. I'll try to post the questions there as well. So you can just respond to the comments there. And and again, thanks for the feedback and the answer we got in for last week's question. Really appreciate it. 
And yeah, that's going to wrap us up for this week, guys. Hope we finish this season strong as we roll on into Strange New Worlds coming on the 5th of next month. So thank you for joining us, guys. And until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. been listening to the discussing network find out more at discussingnetwork.com hey i need your help the year is 2045 in night city there's a bar called no latency ping runs the bar it's just a bar but it's not just a bar i'm ping And I used to work for Domino. I'm sorry, who are you? I'm Domino. But now I need to save them. But I can't do it alone. So I hired some help. Some old friends. On my face, there will just be a flashing question mark. Uh, Sir, I'm going to need you to take a step back. The vehicle is armed. And some new. We're looking around, trying to find this no latency place. Your bird looks like it is in great pain. Someone should put it out of its misery. Am I going to need some help? Yeah, what's up, TV, dude? I fuck up the cowboy. It's me. I'm Tuna. I'm Stranger. And we'll make some enemies. I'm Steve and I'm here to be. Arasaka would like to discuss Domino. We will find you. Come quietly. All right, man, I guess we got to fix this up. Who the fuck is this guy? Because if we don't save Domino... We'll all be dead. No Latency. A Cyberpunk Red roleplay podcast. New episodes every Wednesday. See you in Night City.